Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Well, if you are joining us today, we are in the middle of a series of messages that we have been covering the book of Ephesians. We are almost at the end of our study. We, are, we, ha we have just a few weeks left as we are walking through this. The book of Ephesians is nicely divided into three sections. And if you're joining us, you'll just want to make mental note of this, that the first part of Ephesians, the first three chapters are about learning to sit. They're learning to do exactly what it says at the top of the screen, sit, rest, receive, hear from the Lord. Understand the things that, uh, that Amy was talking about this morning. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are adopted into his family. We are chosen by God. We have a new identity and a new purpose in life. And that's learning to sit and receive from God and just rest in him. And then he switches gears when we get to Ephesians 4 and he tells us that we are to now start living this out in our lives. Your Christianity cannot be secret agent Christianity. It has to be real and out in the open, and it has to be part of who you are. We are not doing it out of trying to earn God's favor. We are living out a Christian life because God has saved us, and he has changed us from the inside out. This idea of walking is where we find ourselves. We'll wrap up the series with learning how to stand, where we're going to talk about spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle. And That'll really start, really kick off probably what's going to happen in the fall. We'll have a whole section where we'll talk about the spiritual battle that we're in. The walking stage, the context of that is in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I've been covering that each week as we have been in this stage and in this piece of this. God says this, or Paul says this, the Lord using him. Therefore, I, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, I'm going to urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. In other words, walk worthy of God. You have been saved. You have been changed. You've been forgiven. You've rested in him. Now, walk it out in a manner that's going to please him. Walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. What's that going to look like? Well, you're going to have complete humility and gentleness and patience, and you're going to put up with one another in love making every effort to keep unified the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Well, where we find ourselves in this section of walking is now talking about relationships. We started this last week with the title of the message, Orderly Relationships. And in fact, we're going to have four parts to this series, this little mini series within our big series, where we are talking specifically about relationships. And in particular, last week, I gave the context of what Paul was writing. But really, last week and this week, the focus is the marriage. What is a Christian marriage supposed to look like and supposed to be? Let's pray. 
And we'll get into part two of this section today. Father, help us to have a relationship, a marriage for those who are married, or a future marriage for those who are not married that will bring honor and glory to you and bring the satisfaction that every heart is seeking after. Help us to have marriage relationships that bring honor and glory to you. Lord, your word tells us that you hate divorce, but you also, I believe with all my heart, hate a rotten marriage. Both are not your plan. Your plan is for us to have the kind of relationship that both people find satisfaction and a closeness with you that our hearts desire. Lord, be with us today as we look at your word, convict us, encourage us, challenge us, and lead us in your way. We thank you, Father, for this time that we have together. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you today, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 21. Verse 21 is all that we covered last week. And I want to just summarize a little bit about what we were talking about last week to help get the juices flowing again for you so that you are mentally there as far as where God wants us for our relationships. Paul starts it off this way. This is the contextual verse for all of it. You cannot understand everything else that he will talk about marriage if you don't understand the contextual verse, which is verse 21 of chapter 5. Here's what Paul writes. Also, submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Messiah, out of reverence for the Christ. Submit yourselves one to another. Now, last week... What we looked at was those three things, God's design for marriage. What was his design for marriage? Well, he states it in, a, in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, it was only Adam that was there. God looked at Adam and said, it's not good that this guy is alone. By the way, we talked about that's not an indictment of singles. He was completely alone. There was no other human that had been created. It was not good to be alone. If you're single, that's okay. Because God has surrounded you with friends and people in your lives that can meet a lot of those needs. Paul says of himself, I'm single, he says, be single like I am. It's an okay thing. Don't take that as an indictment. Adam was alone. And God said, it's not good that you're completely alone, so I'm going to make someone for you. This helper, and it's not a less than, it's somebody who completes him, it's somebody who is well-matched. Remember that? You are well-matched, that God has a plan. His plan is to match you well-matched. It's not a way that is contrary to God, it's according to God's will. They were well-matched, and they were joined together. God brought her to the man. You have to wait for who God has in your life. Trusting in him. God, you'll bring the right person in your time. Help me to be content and help me to wait as you join us together. Don't jump ahead of God, which most people often do. In fact, you see this in divorce situations many times, that as soon as the ink is, not, well, not even dry, the ink has been signed, everything is divided, I'm immediately in a new relationship. I'm not waiting on who God wants to bring and join together with me. He joined them together. They were one flesh. Uh, one flesh. They were intertwined. Everything was shared. Relationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, they were one flesh. 
And then he says, of them, they were naked and unashamed. And that is true intimacy. And true intimacy means that I know this person completely. They know me completely. And I feel completely safe. And that's what God designed the marriage to be. But then it all went wrong. Where did it go wrong? Well, it went wrong the next chapter where sin entered into the picture. And after sin entered into the picture, God said to the woman, because of what you have done, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. Now, what was that a picture of? Well, that picture was this. It was two people, and I apologize for my artistic skills, two people who are trying to, according to what that curse is, they're trying to rule over the other person. He says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband. The word desire in the original Hebrew was not good. It was not healthy. It was you will want to control him, but you'll use cunning and manipulative tactics and emasculation to try to control him. And he will rule over. He will be a jerk and a tyrant and a dictator. And you'll have a struggle for power. There will be selfishness. There will be pride. There will be jealousy and envy and anger as two people are trying to control the other person. And that is where marriage went wrong. Well, we then learned, well, where where does it go right? How does it go right? That's what we're going to talk about more of today. And it goes right through the verse that Paul just said. I want you to submit yourselves to one another. What is submission? Well, submission is the opposite of what we see here. Submission, instead of ruling over, submission is where we begin to come underneath. And we begin to do what the Bible says. We begin to serve. And we begin to sacrifice. And we begin to humble ourselves. And we begin to, in humility, in patience, in gentleness, put up with one another in love. And that's what marriage is supposed to be, a submission, not a ruling over. Let's go back to this verse. Paul says, I want you to submit yourselves to one another. Okay, Paul, if that's what we're supposed to do and submit ourselves in my marriage, I submit myself to my wife. She submits herself to me. Exactly what is that going to look like? Well, that's the next verses. He's going to tell us what that's going to look like. But I want to give you something that Jesus did that gives us the picture of what submission truly is. It's understanding how to be people of the towel and the basin. In John chapter 13, Right before Jesus was crucified, it was the Passover meal. And all of the disciples gathered together for the Passover meal. They came into the house, and when they came into the house, it was the custom of the servant, typically the youngest servant girl who was part of the servant family, that person would wash the feet of all the guests that would come into the house. Washing feet. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you for myself, feet are gross. You you know what I mean by this? Feet are nasty. They are not fun to look at unless it's like little baby Harper, baby feet. Baby feet are cute. Not in a weird, creepy way cute, but if you had a baby, you understand what I mean. Baby feet are cute. Adult feet, teenage feet. Oh my goodness. Teenage boy feet, they are the worst. 
<clears throat> teenage boys who do athletics, who have maybe basketball shoes. They throw them in their bag. They never air them out. You ever go in their room, it smells like something died and was hidden under all the piles of, of dirty laundry that is there. It is absolutely awful. Feet are gross. In that day, feet were disgusting as well. It's nothing has changed over time. They would walk around with sandals on in the dirt of the day. Places where animals were also walking. You never know what you were going to step in or what you're going to attract onto your feet as you're walking with these sandals that are on. And the servant girl would take a basin and a towel and wash the feet as a form of service, as a form of cleaning. Your body would be mostly clean, but they would wash the feet. At the Passover meal, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come to depart the world, to go back to the Father, he knew he was facing the cross. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. While the Passover meal was happening, the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot that he should hand over Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he would come forth from God, was returning to God. So he gets up from the meal, he lays aside his outer garment, he takes up his towel, he wraps it around his waist, then he pours water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel wrapped around him. What was he doing? Well, he was modeling what Paul says, submit yourselves to one another. He was modeling servanthood. He was modeling submission to the disciples. He picked up a towel, he picked up a basin, he began to wash their feet and dry them with a towel that he had wrapped around his body. How could he do this? Why would he do this? Well, he did it to teach them a lesson about submission, humility, and servanthood. Why or how could he possibly do this? I want to show you three things about Jesus that allowed him to do this. Jesus was secure in who he was. Once secure in who he was, he could do the lowest job of the house. Look what it says. Jesus knew. What did he know? Well, he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew what he was. He knew what his role was. He knew what his purpose was. The Father has put all things into my hands. I know I have a mission. I know I have a purpose. I know I'm headed for the cross to be the savior of the world. I know everything. He knew what he was. But look what else it says. And that he had come from God. He knew whose he was. He was the Father's. There was no question about his identity. He knew exactly who he was. And then he knew that he was returning to God. He knew where he was going. So Jesus knew what he was, whose he was, where he was going. Everything was settled in his heart. Everything was secure. When you know that, it allows you to pick up a towel in a basin and serve someone else. Knowing those three things, he got up from the table, put aside his outer garment, took up a towel, wrapped it around, poured water, began to wash the disciples' feet. When you know whose you are, when you know what you are, when you know where you're going, everything else falls into place. Do you know those things about yourself, your own life? You're a child of God. 
You belong to God. You've been adopted into his family. He has freely forgiven you. He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You are going to heaven if you are a believer in him. When you have that settled, everything else falls into place. I could do the lowest job because I know whose I am, what I am, where I am going. Jesus goes on to say this. It says, after he had washed their feet and put his robe back on and reclined again, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher, you call me master, and rightly you say, for that's exactly what I am. So if I, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, look what he says. You also ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example. You should do for each other what I have done for you. Now, why do I bring that up? Go back to what Paul says. Submit yourselves to one another out of reference for Christ. In other words, here's my summary of this. If you're married, you're going to get married you want to be married, you're to wash the feet of your spouse. Not literally or figuratively is probably the best way to think of it. Figuratively, in your life, how are you washing the feet of your wife, men? In your life, ladies, how are you washing the feet of your husband? See, that's what submitting yourselves to one another really means. Now, what is he going to do from this point? Well, here's what he's going to do. And so let me kind of sketch it out this way. Think of it this way. He is going to first, he gives us the picture of the context. He says, submit. And he says, one to another. So one to another, I want you to submit. Then he's going to give a specific example. He's going to say specifically, husbands, this is what it's going to look like for you. Wives, here is what it's going to look like for you. And then he will wrap it up with one other thought. And then he will give this thing we call the summary statement. As he speaks to wives, guys, those are verses not written for you. I've seen many a man try to use the verses that are written to, to the women as a means of control. Remember, that's the curse. I want to control. So what will they say? They will say, wives, submit to your husbands. That means you never question me. You just do whatever I say. You make my life happy. You just serve me in any way that you can. You just obey me in everything. And they use it in a way to manipulate. Those verses, men, are not written to you. In fact, don't even read them, guys. They're not for you. They're for wives. And then he will say, husbands. Do you know those verses are written not for you wives? Don't even read them. They're not for you. Men, they are for you. They are how we as men are to treat our wives in the marriage relationship. Well, let's look at what these instructions are. First, let's look to the wives. What does he say to the wives? Guys, you can tune out right now, which many of you may have already done. You can start playing games on your phone. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do during this time. Let's talk ladies. Here's what he says to the ladies. He says, women... Wives, 
I want you to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So he says, wives to your own husbands. He's referring back to the idea of submit. Submit yourselves. Wives, here's what it's going to look like. Men, here's what it's going to look like. Wives, you to your husband as to the Lord. So go back to the, to the drawing that we had earlier. Wives, if this is the wife, I want you to come underneath and surrender your life to your husband. Okay? Here he is, and I want you to submit your life to him. That's what he is saying. Also, wives, to your husbands as to the Lord. And then he goes on to say this, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Messiah also is the head of his community. What does that mean? It means the husband has a role. Do you know, men, I believe, are going to be held in account to God based upon how they lead. Again, this is not for the guys. This is just talking to the ladies. Men are going to be held into an account for how they led. Do you know that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were both there. But do you know that it was Adam who was given the command not to eat from the tree. It was not given to Eve. She wasn't even in existence yet when it was given to Adam. Adam had authority. And he is the one who is accountable to God. He was supposed to lead his wife, which he did not do. He was supposed to protect her, which he did not do. And he will have to give an account before God. Men are going to have to give an account before God on how they led their wives. Now, wife, he says, you submit yourself to the husband as the head of his community. Now, what if the husband disobeys God? If it contradicts God, don't listen to things that contradict God, yet still serve. Still look for opportunities to serve. You may say, well, what if my husband doesn't deserve me submitting to him? Well, that's true. He does not deserve that. It doesn't matter what he does. This is between you and the Lord. This is what pleases God. Ladies, submit yourself to your husband as just like Messiah is the head of his community, the husband is the head of the family. But as Messiah's community is submitted to Messiah, so also the wives in everything. Now, many years ago, and I don't know when it actually started, but the idea and the concept of feminism really destroyed and went against the ideas that God lays out. Because what does feminism say? It says men are, well, ignorant. Men are stupid in many ways. Men are unnecessary in many ways. We can do just as much. We can be just as successful, just as, uh, just as powerful, just as brave. We don't need men. Well, that goes against what scripture says. The idea of scripture is about authority and relationship. So wives, he says, I want you to come underneath and love your wife the way that Christ loved the church. So what does that mean? Well, I need to serve. I need to respect. I need to build up. I need to be proud of. I need to celebrate. I need to rejoice with. All of those are ways that you are submitting yourself to your husband. You know, men are very fragile. I don't know if you knew this about men, but they have a very, very fragile ego. If you are emasculating them in front of your friends and family members, if you are saying things negative to them to their face, it will hurt them deeply. And they won't admit it, they won't say it, but it will really deeply affect them. 
So wives, what can you do? Well, build them up. Look for opportunities to praise. Look for opportunities to serve. Look for opportunities to wash their feet in a figurative way. And that's what the wife is supposed to do. It goes against everything that has been ingrained in us from childhood. It goes against the sinful nature that we carry. It goes against that. But we are called to do that if you're a wife. Look for ways that I can serve, be proud of. Every time I mow the lawn, I will bring Jennifer to the front window. And I will stand next to her in the front window and I will say, look at what I have accomplished. Look at the work that your husband has done. And if she starts picking out, well, you missed that spot. And how come, there's a weed sticking up over there. How come you missed that? And she starts nitpicking little things. It just shrinks my soul. What does she do? She, like a little child, says, I am so proud of you, honey. You did such, you are such a provider and a protector and a, and a horticulturalist of this place. You are amazing. And when she does that, I feel built up. Isn't that what the picture of this is? It's building up, elevating, raising up this other person. So with your words, with your actions, with your tone of voice, with your things that you do, look for opportunities to build them up because they need that. And men will hopefully respond to that. So that's what he says to the wives. He says, wives, I want you to do these things. I want you wives to serve, oh, sorry, wrong one. I want you wives to serve. I want you to, um, I, I want you with your words to build up. I want you to respect. And I want you in many ways to obey, not unhealthy, uh, sinful things. Obey. This is what I'm calling you to do, wives. And then he switches gears and he says, okay, husbands, this is what it's going to look like for you. He gives twice as many verses, twice as many sentences to the men as he does to the women. Let's look at what he says. Wives or husbands, love your wives, love your wives, just as Jesus loved his church. And he gave himself, he sacrificed, he went to the cross for the church to make her holy, having cleansed her by the immersion in the word. Messiah did this so that he might present to himself his glorious community, not having stain or wrinkle or any such thing, but in order that she might be holy and blameless. What is, what is he basically saying? Husbands, love your wife. Lead your wife. Lead your family. Sacrifice yourself for your family. Protect your family. Value your family. Instruct your family. Provide for your family. That's what he's saying to the husband. This is what submission, husbands, is going to look like for you. In the same way, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For no one, or, or he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Messiah also does his community, because we are members of his body. So what does he say to the men? He says to the men, I want you guys, he says, I want you to do this, I want you to, I want you to love your wife. 
I want you to serve your wife. I want you to protect your wife. I want you to provide. I want you to cherish her. I want you to nourish her soul. I want you to do all of these things, husbands, and I want you to do all of these things, wives. And then he gives the summary statement. And here's the summary statement. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, intimacy. This mystery is great, but I am talking about Messiah and his community. In any case, here's the summary. Let each of you, this is the man, let each of you love his own wife as himself. And let the wife respect her husband. If you've never heard of the book or never seen the book that is uh, called Love and Respect uh, by Emerson Edricks, I would highly recommend you get that and that you read that. In that book, he talks about those, that, that final verse. He talks about the idea of love and respect. See, that's the summary of everything that Paul just said. This is what submission looks like. In practice, he says, wives, you submit to your husbands. Husbands, you submit to your wives. Husbands, you love your wives. Wives, you respect your husbands. Here's what he talks about in that book. He says that when husbands feel disrespected, they will react in unloving ways or they will act without love. When they feel disrespected. When wives feel unloved, they will act in ways that are very disrespectful without respect. What he calls that in this book is the crazy cycle that couples get into all the time, where a man is unloving toward his wife. And a wife is disrespectful toward her husband. Well, that's exactly what the garden talks about, what sin is all about, where two people are trying to control the other, coming over the top of the other, pushing the other person down. It's, I'm not going to love you and I'm not going to respect you. And I'll communicate that I don't respect you and I'll communicate that I don't love you. And couples start doing this over and over and over and over and over, time after time, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, goes against exactly what Paul said. Submission is first submitting yourself one to another. Wives, you submit to your husbands. You serve them. You wash their feet figuratively. You obey what they say if they're leading, especially in a God-honoring way. You look for opportunities to serve them. You listen to them. You value them. You, you build them up. You encourage them in that process. Husbands, I want you to love your wife because she needs love and needs to feel loved and needs to feel valued. And so you love your wife, not only through providing and protection, but also through nurturing and caring and being gentle and being patient and being tender and being kind-hearted. See, when that happens, when you have two people who are willing to act God's way and do things God's way, it's amazing the miracle that goes on. 
because here's what the miracle is that husbands start to love their wives as Jesus loved the church. And when they do that, oftentimes, most of the time, wives respond by respecting their husbands. And when husbands feel respected, they tend to be more loving. And when wives feel loved, they tend to be more respectful. So the problem that many people have in their relationship is they live life for themselves. They are focused on putting the other person down, gaining power, gaining control, being selfish. They are looking for their needs being met, not the other person's needs being met. I don't want to wash their feet. I want them to wash my feet. I want me to have all of my needs taken care of. See, that's not how God designed us. God designed us to know him, to walk with him, to obey him, and serve each other. When Jesus says, as I have done this, you do this to others, that works in the marriage as well. So men, I want you to leave this place, and I want you to surrender your heart to Jesus. And I want you to go home and say, honey, I haven't always done things right, and I'm sorry. I haven't been the best husband that I could possibly be, and I'm sorry. I want to try harder. And it starts with me surrendering my life to the Lord. And I'm going to try to be more loving as a man, because I know, honey, that that's what you need. And so, guys, don't nitpick. Don't critique. Don't give unhelpful advice, which is your advice that you give that you think is great, but it's not. Don't give that. Instead, just wrap your arms around her, cherish her, love on her, protect her, value her, build her up, and she will blossom. Like a flower that is wilted that will just come back to life. And wives, you look for every opportunity that you can to respect your husband. I want you to use words that are going to build him up. Go home and say, you are amazing. I am so glad I am married to you. You are, you are such a stud. I am so proud of you. And don't nitpick and tear down and look for opportunities to point out how he was wrong. Look for opportunities that will build him up. When husbands love their wives and wives respect their husbands, marriage starts to become all that God intended, which is two people who are coming underneath the other, who are looking for opportunities to serve with the towel and the basin. How can I serve you? Would you pray with me as we close? And again, as always, if you want to stick around more and have extra prayer, we have these tables that are open on the sides and you are welcome to come forward. We'll pray for you. But let's close with a word of prayer today. Father, I pray for marriages. I know several that are just on the verge of destruction. And in most cases, Lord, it is two people who are selfishly living for themselves, looking to control, looking for power, wanting to be praised, wanting their needs met, a selfish heart, Lord. That's not what we want. We want the marriage you intended, which begins with serving one another, submitting ourselves to you and to this other person, not because they deserve it, not because they have earned it, but because this is what pleases you.
So, Lord, help us to serve you by serving others. In our minds, Lord, help us to pick up the towel in the basin and be willing to go in a figurative way, wash the feet of the other person, meeting their needs first. Help us as men to be loving. Too often as men, Lord, we are harsh and critical and judgmental and hurtful. Convict us and help us to change. Help us to love our wives the way that you love the church and went to the cross for the church. Lord, I pray for the wives that they would respect their husbands because their husbands need that respect. They need to feel respected. If they don't feel respected, they feel like they're nothing. And so, Lord, help wives to show respect and honor and value to their husbands. Help them to be encouraging. Help them to build up their husbands. Help them, Lord, to show submission in that process. Father, I pray for the marriages represented in this room that marriages would get strong and healthy and be well. I pray for marriages in this community that marriage would be centered and valued in our society once again. Lord, please be with us as we leave. Protect us and watch over us and help us, Lord, to have the kind of marriages that you desire. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful rest of your week and look forward to seeing you back here next week as we continue on. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right-hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.